It's an amazing thing for me to learn that everybody has been stepping up to the challenge so beautifully and so willingly, to which I want to say, you know, maybe through this podcast, a huge thank you. Because I have to say that this COVID-19 situation came upon us um, really, really, really quickly. Now, even though you look around the world, you know, there, there are situations outside of Canada, but within a Canadian setting, it hit us very, very quickly, but we are able to respond also very, very quickly and strategically. Yeah. And that I'm very grateful. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Joss Biggins. Today, we have someone on who has more letters after his name than there are in the damn alphabet. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Roger Wong on. Dr. Roger Wong is the Executive Associate Dean of Education at UBC Faculty of Medicine. He's also a clinical professor of geriatric medicine, and on top of that, he's a TEDx speaker, and on top of that, uh, he's the president of the Canadian Geriatric Society. And you say, Josh, what is geriatrics? Well, that is how we care for specifically seniors and elders in our community. Um, so this is highly, highly relevant to the time right now as we're battling a pandemic and a disease that specifically targets, um, you know, elder people as well as people with weaker immune systems. So uh, the goal here was to have a discussion uh, rooted in pragmatic optimism. And, and that really evolved to a conversation that was, you know, highly talking about the evolution of education, talking about solutions about where we actually are right now. I know everyone tuned into various news sources, um, but actually hearing it, uh, you know, right from the source, someone who's very, very data-driven, information-driven, and someone who's, you know, very well-spoken. Roger's been featured on, you know, CTV, CBC, uh, various other um, national publications, as well as actually advising the government on how to uh, really work through this pandemic uh, in a way that is most intelligent, most efficient, and most compassionate. So without further ado, uh, here's our conversation with Dr. Roger Wong. The Think Space podcast is a home for the passionately curious. We aim to dig deep and learn as much as possible by connecting the right questions with the right people. So we bring in some of the best minds in the Pacific Northwest, regardless of their industry, to extract the most value from their stories and experiences. Yes, you're going to get something from this episode, which is good. Or you could get something from every episode we release by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening on. You could find the full show notes at thinkspacepodcast.com or have the visual experience of this podcast over on YouTube. If you want to get looped into some exclusive content or private giveaways, join our mailing list. The link's in the description. Dr. Wong, thank you for joining us. Um, I really, really appreciate your time. I know time is scarce. It's our greatest asset, and especially these days where things are moving very, very fast. Uh, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us on the podcast. How are you? Everything seems great on your end. Uh, paint us, paint the, paint the picture for us. Everything okay? What's going on with you? Yeah, well, thank you so much, Charles. I'm delighted to be on the show today. Uh, share with your audience some of the things that have been happening in the past few weeks. I think for all of us that are now going into a new phase, these are unprecedented times. Um, so many of us, um, in whatsoever way our lives are looking a little bit different, but it is about uh, with physical distancing and about working from remotely. Uh, as a geriatrics doctor, you know, I'm still very busy clinically, um, helping to support and seeing um, older patients, but at the same time doing a lot of work at the university. I'm the executive associate dean and a professor of geriatrics in UBC. Um, huge amount of work um, supporting our seniors and protecting them during 
the COVID-19 pandemic. So keeping really busy. But other than that, I'm doing really well. Well, thank you very much for your work. I really, really do appreciate it. Um, yeah, your, your resume is extensive, sir. My goodness. My goodness. I was reading through and I, I think there's more letters after, the, after your name than there are in the alphabet. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so thank you for your work that you do. I appreciate it. Um, so let's jump right in. What is the situation as it stands today? I mean, we're recording this at the end of April. It'll be released right at the start of, uh, of May. Where are we right now? And, and past that, maybe you could illustrate a little bit. Um, what are our best and maybe even worst case scenarios as it pertains to this, um, the general population, as it pertains to seniors who we care about the most right now? Um, I know some people are saying this could play it over three, four years. This could be a couple of months. And I'd really just like to get a straight answer from someone who really, really knows what's going on here. Yeah, well, you know what? One of the things about the COVID-19 outbreak situation, you know, it is a global pandemic. It affects all of us around the world, no matter where you are. And one of the things that I've learned early on is the uncertainty. Because things change so quickly. Even if you look, say, in Canada, if you look in terms of what has happened in the past few months of 2020, in early 2020, things are looking so differently and changing so quickly. I think the one thing that we can predict is that whatever new normal state that we're entering into uh, is going to be very different looking compared to before any of this were to happen. Where we are now is we know that... Um, each of the provinces and territories in Canada, including here in British Columbia, we're doing absolutely everything we can to really flatten the curve. And by that, I mean trying to reduce the rate of increase in terms of the affected cases with COVID-19, and therefore hopefully to reduce the number of critically ill patients who require hospital admission or that kind of uh, special care and support. And the reason we're doing that is um, so that our healthcare delivery system does not get overwhelmed. That is going to last a while because until we actually have a vaccine that is being discovered and is found to be effective and safe to protecting people from COVID-19, um, it is a very contagious condition. And we know that the spread on the transmission um, can be very fast and very severe. So much so that those um, people who are most vulnerable, in particular, including seniors, um, we really need to do everything we can and continue to do those things to protecting them. It is going to be here for a while. This episode is brought to you by Self-Hired. Self-Hired, if you don't know, is a content studio that specializes in video production as well as photography and yes, podcast production. So if you are an individual or you are a head of a company or a marketing manager or a content manager at a company that's thinking about one of the most powerful mediums in 2020 and want to start a podcast, uh, give the fellas over at Self Hired um, a call that you can reach them at selfhired.com um, or info at selfhired.com if you want to blast them an email. Thank you guys so much. And here's to the episode. Mm. So I'm, I'm very curious. And again, our audience is, is mostly Canada based. How do you see this playing out? I mean, we've only we've seen this develop since late December in China now to here we are in the late in late April. Where do you see this going over the next couple of months? Um, and, you know, maybe even further than that, what can you give us a sense of timeline on how this might play out? I know uncertainty is a big theme word here, but again, leaning into you with your expertise, knowledge and experience, 
um, in the field. Can you give us any sort of sense of timeline of what might happen? Yeah, one of the things, Josh, that I talk about is, you know, until a discovery of a vaccine that is safe and effective in protecting us against COVID-19, um, a lot of the measures, the public health measures, including physical distancing, the way how we work and so on, are likely here to stay. Yeah. The question therefore becomes, you know, how long would it take for that safe and effective vaccine to be discovered? What I can tell you, Josh, is a lot of researchers in the medical field and the science field have been working flat out um, ever since the pandemic outbreak started. And in fact, people are saying that um, it will still take some time. And, and the timeline that we're hearing about is it could be measured in terms of months to years. Wow. So this is clearly not imminent. Now, wow. obviously, um, even including here at UBC, there's a lot of work being done. And we can talk about it later on in terms of the science of um, help, you know, helping to deal with the COVID-19 situation. Uh, all we've learned is that um, data and science actually is really important, but at the same time, compassion is very important as we're dealing with this pandemic. And that is something that, again, I'm happy to talk about. How do we connect people with compassion, uh, in particular those who are the most vulnerable? Absolutely. I mean, emotional well-being, you know, as you know, plays into to physical well-being and how do we uh, support our seniors, support, you know, those around us. It's, it's you know, for me personally, just seeing the effect of not seeing anyone. And, and, and I've always been, a, I've always thought I was a self-sufficient person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss you guys. Um, and, and so just seeing that, that play out has been very, very interesting for my own psychology. And I couldn't imagine for, uh, you know, parents, grandparents, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'd love to di dive into a little bit of what the faculty of medicine's role is in all of this. You spoke a little bit how important data is. How do we lead with compassion? What is the faculty doing right now in support of trying to find solutions in this pandemic? Absolutely. And and I let me just start by saying, Josh, that I absolutely agree with you that for all of us, that social connectivity is so important. But this is especially true for those who are the most vulnerable in this COVID-19 pandemic situation, including people who are already isolated to start with, or including our seniors. So in terms of the faculty medicine, we have been doing a, a, a lot of things to help support people who are affected by the COVID-19 situation. And I can kind of categorize them in some big categories. Sure. <laughs> so first of all, you know, um, as the um, only medical school in the province of British Columbia, we actually have a social responsibility right. and accountability to our patients and all the communities. And this is something that we have been doing a lot, all the way kind of ranging from uh, supporting our frontline um, clinical health professionals um, who are actually working very, very hard. Um, some of our medical students have stepped up to the plate in actually helping up with the public health measures, such as um, staffing the 811 call centers. And as we know, it is a hotline that anybody in the province can call to ask for information about COVID-19. Um, some of our medical students have stepped up to the plate to really supporting contact tracing for individuals who have been diagnosed and, and tested positive for COVID-19, and we can try to contribute that way. At the same time, another big category of things that we're doing is we continue to actually provide, you know, as the medical school, that level of clinical care. So many of our um, resident doctors, our faculty members, our clinicians, our practitioners 
are right there in the front line. I myself have been actually at the forefront. Oh my gosh. Uh, when I come to seniors care, I've been working nonstop for many weeks now, wow. actually, trying to really figure out what can we do to support the most vulnerable, including seniors, such as in long-term care settings. Mm. I'm actually on the Government of Canada Task Force on Long-Term Care, which is led by the Chief Science Advisor of Canada. And we make recommendations and report directly into the Federal Minister of Health and the Prime Minister. Wow. So the, these kind of work is, uh, is essentially a highlight of some of the leadership role that UBC has been taking. But it doesn't stop there. We've been doing a lot of our researchers have been focusing their energies on COVID-19 related research. A good example, a colleague of mine, Dr. Joseph Penninger, who actually is a biologist, has been really doing some very important work in identifying the receptor that the COVID-19 virus actually intersects with wow. uh, in humanoid tissues. And we know that um, we can actually have clinical trials, um, drug trials now, talking about potential treatments. Now, we are far away from a treatment yet. We're in what we call phase two clinical trial right now. And so we still need to go. And then the final thing I would say is I started off talking about seniors who might be the most vulnerable in the COVID-19 situation. With physical distancing, which is a way of protecting seniors from getting the disease, the virus, one of the unintended consequences could be social isolation and loneliness. And that can have negative impact on physical and mental health, which is why we at UBC in the Faculty of Medicine, as part of the Edwin S.H. Leong Healthy Aging Program, have been doing a lot of work to trying to protect and support seniors during COVID-19. An initiative, a brand new initiative that we are launching is called Connecting with Compassion. Mm. We're using technology, tablet devices, computers, to actually connect seniors who are in long-term care homes with their families and loved ones with the outside world during a time of physical distancing. Because I believe that physical distancing does not mean social isolation. And that's why continually to engage our seniors at this very challenging time is so important. So I'm curious from a medical standpoint, I can feel it anecdotally, the effects that isolation has on me. Medically, what does that do to a person and, and why do you put such a emphasis on it? It's very easy for me just as another human saying, yes, that's important. But from a medical standpoint, why is that important um, to really make, to really lead with compassion? Yeah, that's a good question, Josh, because we now have evidence in the medical literature and these are studies, um, scientific studies in the medical journals to demonstrate the negative impact of social isolation and loneliness in both physical health and mental health. Mm. Allow me to begin by talking about some of the physical aspects. For example, we know that there is an association, and I would underline it is an association, so it may not be a cause and effect, because in many of these scientific studies, we can only study associations. But there is a clear connection or association between social isolation and loneliness, and then negative health outcomes, such as strokes, heart disease, and people dying. One of the studies that was published actually in the American, uh, one of the American psychology journals, uh, talks about the impact of loneliness in seniors, is almost like smoking cigarettes. 
Wow. Up to to 15 cigarettes a day and shaving off life expectancy for up to seven or eight years. So that's a huge effect. Now, we also know that there is a mental impact, a psychological well-being impact of loneliness and social isolation. Individuals who are continuously lonely and socially isolated are more prone to developing anxiety as well as other mental health conditions such as low mood state or depression. This is especially tough in the case of seniors who live with dementia or Alzheimer's disease. We know that many of them actually require that physical connectivity for social companionship with their families and loved ones. And at a time such as now during COVID-19, when physical distancing requires visitation limitation, for example, for seniors who actually live alone or in care home setting, it can have a huge impact on their mental health and their well-being, which is why at UBC, we're doing so much work, innovative work through connecting with compassion as part of an overall strategy to supporting and protecting seniors. Wow. No, uh, uh, amazing. Some of those numbers that you're throwing out there and, and some of those uh, the correlations are, it's interesting, science continues to prove things that I think we as humans would intuitively know, and are now starting to, you know, come into the science, which is, which is great. And, it, and, and again, it's, it's a very wholesome feeling. It's a very uplifting feeling. It's a very positive feeling. How do we make our seniors more, more healthy? Well, let's connect with them. Let's talk with them. Let's do that. That, that could be a great step. So I, I applaud you guys for, for everything that you're doing there. On the Faculty of Medicine, I, I, I'm curious on how this is changing the education process, because now you have these med students that are quite literally on the front lines yourself, quite literally on the front lines. We are no longer in the classroom. How has this changed or has it changed how UBC or you yourself has thought about um, education as it pertains to medicine? Absolutely. Well, at UBC and clearly within the Faculty of Medicine, we are home to a host of professional programs in the various areas of delivering healthcare. So within the Faculty of Medicine, we actually are home to our medical program involving and including medical students and resident doctors who are family doctors and and specialists in training. But as well, we are home to our physical therapy program, occupational therapy program, our midwifery program, our audiology program, speech science programs, medical laboratory science programs, and a host of other programs. What we have learned for sure is that with COVID-19, the education landscape has changed. It is not only about going online, which I know a lot of our students are experiencing, um, such as via various virtual platforms. And I mean, today, for example, I've been going nonstop to Zoom in. And and, and this is, um, I lost track of which number of meetings this is now. (laughs) But um, uh, it is more than that because uh, currently across all the 17 medical schools in Canada, all of our medical students, uh, they have their clinical rotations or placements are being placed on hold. And therefore, our students um, have an opportunity an opportunity to really contribute in different ways towards supporting the public health efforts of managing the pandemic right now. Is real-time learning, is real-time application of learning because they're making a difference. Let me give you one example. 
And some of our students actually have a background in clinical epidemiology, mm. which is the study of diseases and illnesses from a public health point of view. They are currently in our medical program. But with the clinical rotations being placed on hold, these students have now returned to their old roles or previous roles in clinical epidemiology and helping to work with the BC Center for Disease Control in terms of contributing to some of the models of the data that you see every day being used by, by our public health officials. One of my, another good example, one of my resident doctors, one of my trainees, is actually working um, alongside with Dr. Bonnie Henry, the provincial wow, health Wow, wow. So we are Incredible. making impact at multiple levels. And these are our trainees, these are our students. It's an amazing thing for me to learn that everybody has been stepping up to the challenge so beautifully and so willingly, to which I want to say, you know, maybe through this podcast, a huge thank you. Because I have to say that this COVID-19 situation came upon us um, really, really, really quickly. Now, even though you look around the world, you know, there, there are situations outside of Canada, but within a Canadian setting, it hit us very, very quickly, but we are able to respond also very, very quickly and strategically. Yeah. And that I'm very grateful. Incredible. No, it's it's truly incredible to see such large uh, organizations and, um, yeah, establishments move so quickly when traditionally we wouldn't have thought that was possible. But when, when there's a will, there's a way. When there's a need, um, that's truly what we can do. From your standpoint, how does this change how we think about global pandemics, how we think about disease out outbreak? How does this change the future landscape of things? Yeah, I think, Josh, this clearly has changed a lot of the ways how we understand kind of health conditions, but more importantly, applying it through a much more global lens, a public health lens. I think there are many learnings that all of us will be kind of thinking back when this is over. And I do believe that this will be over some point. We just don't know when. I actually believe that um, one of the things I've learned is the um, the importance, as we talk about, of connecting socially, perhaps virtually, with physical distancing. Many times, people might not have thought about how we can do our business. And I don't mean just from um, an operational point of view, in terms of some of a lot of the strategic things, what it is in education, um, we're talking about online learning. And online learning means more than just switching over to remote teaching emergently. I believe online learning, there are many ways of redesigning how courses are being delivered, how we can use best practices to engage our students so that this is actually a very enjoyable experience. Now, I know that we continue to work on that. We're not quite there yet, but there are many different ways of us thinking about a lecture, for example, which normally lasts 45 to 50 minutes. Can they be done in a modular way, 15-minute bursts? So that it's almost like our podcast right now. Right. Podcast is done in a very smart way because right, right. we know that people's attention span is only so long. And therefore, how do you use that kind of learning and apply it to best practice online instruction? Another good example is in healthcare, the whole use of technology and virtual care. I mean, we started off talking about telehealth, but what does that mean in the pandemic, or most importantly, post-pandemic era? So does it mean that health professionals 
will now be able to leverage on technology and do things that they have never thought about doing. And what does that mean actually for our learners? What does it mean for our students in physiotherapy or occupational therapy or in medicine or in other health professions when virtual care becomes a cornerstone of delivery of care? I think this has major implications when we talk about populations who may have difficulty accessing care to start with, such as those who are living in rural and remote geographic locations. So I think there are many lessons that are going to be long lasting. My prediction, my crystal ball perhaps, <laughs> is that many of the things that we have done in terms of adaptations to COVID-19 may continue to stay after COVID-19 is over and may be part of what we describe as the new normal. Interesting. Could you elaborate on some of those adaptations more specifically? I know you said telecare, virtual care. Is there anything else that you could expand on? Well, I think one of the things that we talk about, and I spoke about connecting with compassion, that action plan, the initiative we're trying to do for seniors who are living in a long-term care setting, because of physical distancing, we're using computer technology, tablet devices to connect them with the outside world. Well, think about it for a moment, Josh, because even when the pandemic is over, there are still going to be lots of seniors in those care settings who remain vulnerable, who are still separated from the outside world. And I think what we're doing, a very innovative initiative, Connecting Compassion, is here to stay. Because mm. compassion is a common driver and inspiration for all of us. What we are seeing and learning in Canada is that when it comes to seniors' health and care, especially those who are the most frail and vulnerable, COVID-19 has unmasked some underlying challenges, a good number of them not necessarily in British Columbia per se, but across Canada. And that is also the work that I know the government of Canada has engaged us through this federal task force that I'm on. As it turns out, I'm the only person from British Columbia actually on task force. <laughs> okay. I'm actually delighted to be representing us. <laughs> Amazing. Um, but, but we are doing a lot of work because these recommendations are not here only for a couple of weeks or months. I think they're here to stay. Wow. Because any kind of, you know, um, opportunities or challenges that are being unmasked by the pandemic, we need to figure out strategically system-based solutions. It's about looking at health systems. Right. How do we learn through health systems in solving these issues? So I think there are many of the lessons that we learned from COVID-19 that can come out to be quite positive. Mm -hmm. Are there any ways that this has reshaped your thinking um, about senior care or just about care of or health of the general population? Has this changed your perspective at all? Absolutely, Charles. I think I have, um, I, I have been one of the people in the country who um, have been trying to really do what we call knowledge translation. Mm. So the knowledge that is coming out, the science that is coming out of COVID-19 is emerging very, very quickly. There's a lot of new data that comes out. And so when you need to look at the data, vet through it, and making sure and select the bits that are really relevant and pertinent, and then translate it in an easy to understand, easy to apply way, that's the process of knowledge translation. And I am one of those individuals in Canada who have done a lot of that in the space of seniors' health when it comes to COVID-19. Um, individuals, so I've done 
um, a lot of national media interviews. Right. Um, yeah. Recently, I published an op-ed on the Globe and Mail. So some of the individuals have used the term thought leader to describe some of the work that I'm doing. I'd but, echo those sentiments, doctor. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and I have to say my learning is that um, all of us are in this together. Um, my way of thinking in terms of that thought leadership is that it is so important to really premise everything that I'm doing on that compassion mm-hmm. level. Because I can tell you, there are lots of things that people can think about what they say, what they want to do, and their consideration, but it, it comes back to the humanistic aspect. I do what I do day in and day out because of that humanistic and compassionate approach. And I think that is so important. And in terms of the thinking through whatever, whether it's about priority setting, whether it is about um, looking at how do we sustain and support people who are working very, very hard during this pandemic. And this applies to our students, to our staff, our faculty colleagues, everybody. And remember, uh, when it comes to the broad concept of health, it's not just about biological health, it's also about housing. It's also about access to food and resources. It's about transportation. It's that holistic concept of health that the World Health Organization has always talked about. And that is certainly shifted my thinking in terms of as one of the key lessons learned, the importance of that compassion approach. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're all learning that right now. And all that we're also all we're all very vulnerable uh, in, in ways that we maybe think, I mean, me and myself as a, a young male, I'm invincible. Well, no, actually, you're not. Um, and, and, and being compassionate towards myself in that. So I, and that leads us off. I know we have to wrap up here. Uh, but we actually we have two questions coming from um, from our audience from our from our community. One, Again, I, I mentioned before we we started on this podcast that I wanted to keep a very an upbeat tone and, and try to focus on the positive. And you do sound very um, encouraged and insightful and forward leaning. And again, compassion is a word. A compassionate is a word that was used quite a bit. And using that compassion to push us forward and not moving from a place of fear and remembering to smile. So one of the the questions that we have, I think from a UBC student actually is, doctor, what is making you smile today amongst all of this? I can tell you that uh, these are unprecedented times. They are challenging, they are tough. It is only natural that as humans that we feel the emotions. But I can proudly say today, the one thing that makes me smile is when I actually look at the tremendous work that my students and my colleagues are doing in face of adversity. And that's what we are looking at right now. This is an example of a crisis situation. All of us have been working very hard during this crisis, but we are so committed and we have this firm belief that through compassion, we can make a difference. I love it. I would say say that even though right now we are talking over a distance, with physical distancing on technology, I firmly believe that we will meet again. Yes, absolutely. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. I think there's a there's a rebirthing process. There's a holistic healing process that's happening here. We're forced to slow down. We're now we're now connecting in these digital ways. It's amazing. The second question that I have from you from our audience is how do we heal holistically from this? And when she said when she asked this question, specifically as it pertains to how do we make ourselves 
whole again in the way that we once were? I love this question, Jess, because I can tell you the word to heal actually means to make whole again. Awesome. So, so in fact, as a geriatrics doctor and as the executive associate for the medical school, all the work that I've been doing in my professional career is trying to make whole. So I will share with the audience a couple of tips that, that helped me in that process to answering your question, how do we do this? The first is really trying to think uh, in a broad sense. So, uh, and I alluded to this a, a couple of minutes ago, when we talk about health, it is not just about the biology, it's a lot about everything else around us. And I talked about the importance of access to food and housing and protection and security, all these things. So be mindful of the various different things that can determine health, that process of making whole. And then second tip, and again, it is the central theme of my conversation and sharing today, is I believe that when we are driven by compassion, then we can do it. It is, it is what drives us that will come out after this pandemic or any other crisis situation as the lasting bit that we will remember. It will be interesting for, for, for us to predict if we were to gaze into the crystal ball a little bit, even though right now it looks like a snowstorm. <laughs> but in the crystal ball a little bit, what will people remember about 2020, say years from now? I would bet you that people remember the compassionate responses of everybody who has been involved in this COVID-19 pandemic, more so than some of the actual statistics or numbers or epidemiology or so on. Yeah. Those are a couple of tips that I will leave with uh, and share with our audience about things that actually keep me going. Amazing. I love it. And in closing here, uh, Dr. Wong, what is, what is one message? What is the most important thing for us now as we look into the start of May? What would you urge people to do to protect our society, protect our seniors? What's the most important message um, from your standpoint now? I think all of us need to first connect through compassion so that we can connect with compassion. Mm. Wow, beautiful, beautiful. I love it. I, I love that you're such a data-driven, science-driven person, yet you have that creativity and eloquence. It's very beautiful. Thank you very much, Dr. Wong, for your time. I very much appreciate the work that you're doing on a national level, on a provincial level, and with the university as well. Um, I know you've got to get on to other things now, and I really do appreciate your time. And I hope to, to spread this message of compassion. And thank you for being so compassionate. Thank you so much, Josh. It has been a real pleasure today. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you guys all for checking out the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Until next time, um, you can go back and check out our back catalog of various professionals from very various different industries uh, that all cover a plethora of topics. And if you're passionately curious, if you're looking to pass the time, if you're looking to connect with somebody, um, these are the podcasts for you. And we're glad to be that resource for you. If there's a, a conversation that you'd like to continue, join our Facebook group, uh, Think Space Podcast. Just search on Facebook Think Space podcast, and we'll pop right in. 
shoot us a request to be in and I'll approve you right away. The team will approve you right away and we're happy to have you. All discussions, lots of discussions happen there. And as always, if you guys want to check out the visual experience of this podcast, go check it out on YouTube. We throw all of our podcasts up on YouTube and it's great to see the body language, see the body expression, all these different types of things and how people react to different parts in the conversation. And it's a great time. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. I hope you guys are going to stay well. And uh, thank you, Dr. Roger Wong, for coming on. I hope that was insightful. As always, my name is Joss Biggins. Thank you to Self Hired for producing this podcast and making this possible and distributing and everything they do over there. I really, really appreciate you guys. As always, Raiden, Rhea, Kevin, Juan, the whole team, uh, Kevin Hahn, Val. There's a whole team of people that make this happen. Um, zoom in on all our copy and approving things i'm just so grateful for the team in this time of interconnectivity where we don't really have anybody right next to us and you know i'm glad i got my team and i hope you guys are all grateful and show gratitude for your teams around you so until next time uh, enjoy your week and i'll see you next week